a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Wow. Yeah, so on this lesson, we have some really interesting things that we're looking at because Jesus brings up some stuff that uh, it's, it's one, hard-hitting, and two, hard to understand. And on top of that, he points out and points to one of the most challenging to understand and grasp and, and accept Psalms. In fact, this this one psalm that he hits and points to, most of us glance over, uh, ignore, don't pay attention to at all. And when we do read it, we scratch our head and go, that doesn't make sense. I guess it's just beyond me and we move on. But it's so obscure that there's books and books written about this, and there's different theology all over the place about this. So there's a lot about it. And so we on this this lesson, we had to decide how much, I had to decide how much of this are we going to go into? How deep are we going to go and keep it at a reasonable amount of time? Um, so we're going to kind of cruise through some of this because it's hefty. It's hefty. But I think we can get through a good chunk of it and and have it work and work really, really well. So I I hope you're excited. I have a feeling you're going to learn stuff that you had no idea about. Um, or you might not have even known was in this in the Bible at all. And I have a feeling you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about how God views people and humanity. So and views us and views you. So here we go. This is lesson 24. John chapter 10, verses 22 to 24 an incredibly deep area. And this is called I and the Father are one. In fact, in the ESV uh, Bible that I'm using primarily out of, um, that's actually what this whole section is, is I and the Father are one. So just use the same title on this one. All right, here we go. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? 
The Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So this breaks down into a few different areas. Breaks down into, first of all, 22 to 30, I and the Father are one. We break from there into 31 to 39, where there was a renewed desire to stone him, to stone Jesus. And 40 to 42, he goes beyond the Jordan. Okay, let's get into this. 22 and 23. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Okay, so a few things. As we mentioned on the last one, everything else had happened at the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, right? That happens in late September, early October. Now, I know it feels and seems kind of awkward. Why can't we just nail down right when this happens? Well, we can't because... This is based off of the Hebrew calendar, which is completely different and doesn't actually consistently line up with our calendar system. Their calendar system works off of a lunar system. Ours does not. Ours is very set, and so we follow a very structured path. Most ancient calendar systems followed a lunar system, and so the Hebrew system also follows a lunar system. So they don't line up. They just don't always line up. So keep in mind that the Feast of Tabernacles happens in late September or into October, somewhere around in there. Depends on the year, right? But that's okay. Now, the Feast of Dedication happens usually in December. In fact, you may know this by a totally different name. You may recognize this one as Hanukkah. Hanukkah literally means, and this is one of those things that when we get into this and we study you can sit there and scratch your head and go, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. But, right, you can find out Hanukkah literally means dedication. Hanukkah means dedication. So they are celebrating Hanukkah, which is the celebration of the rededication of the temple. And that happened in 164 BC. So it had been happening for, at this point, Roughly 190 years, right? So not quite 200 years, but right around 200 years they've been celebrating Hanukkah at that point. It wasn't called Hanukkah. It was called the Feast of Dedication, okay? Now, this happened in 164 BC after Jewish warriors known as the Maccabees took it back from the Greeks. The temple had been desecrated by by Antiochus IV, 
In 167 BC, remember time goes backwards. When you go from BC towards 80, it goes backwards. So it'll get smaller, right? So this was earlier going to later. Now, this is recorded, and this is kind of a tough one. I, I debated whether to bring this in or not, but we're doing it. Why? Because we can and we should. This is actually recorded for those of you with a Catholic background and are familiar with and comfortable with the Apocrypha. This is recorded in the Apocrypha, which you can find in, in Catholic King James Bibles, in 1 Maccabees 159. Okay. Now, why are we bringing this up? Why do we not talk about the Apocrypha? Okay, first of all, the Apocrypha uh, does not always fully go with the rest of scriptures. It, it is one of those things that when the canonization of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible was put together, they, they put it through a litany of tests, right? They put it through a bunch of different tests to verify uh, whether or not they actually worked together, they belonged together, because there were a lot of different letters and things claiming to be um, part of this, right? Well, Scripture or Bible, the Bible or Scripture, right, is God-breathed. God breathed out this information and inspired man, a person, right, to write it down. Well, if it's God breathed, it's all going to work together. Amen? Well, some parts don't necessarily all work together. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad. Doesn't mean that we can't learn from them. Doesn't mean that they're evil, right? It means that they're not Holy Scripture. They're not God breathed and thus do not belong in the Bible. It doesn't mean that you can't read them and that you can't learn and grow from them, but just take it as the Bible has a higher authority than something that's not God breathed. Okay. We want to listen to the words that God says over the words of man. That makes sense, right? I, I think that makes sense. And so we pulled out the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha was actually in the Bible. And it was Catholic church tradition up until the, the late 1800s. And then it was finally pulled out. So a lot of early, early church tradition, especially Catholic church tradition, um, and before there was Catholic and Protestants and anything like that, it became massive church tradition to actually include a lot of the Apocrypha teachings. So um, this is an example of why we can't always rely on just church tradition to move forward and say that that was right and good. But it, it's fine. It's just one of those things you can learn from and see. And, and I bring this in here because now it, it is an extra biblical source that we can actually look at and recognize saying, hey, this situation was recorded historically. Now, it is something that it is church historically. And we can see that, that, this, that the temple was desecrated. And we see that in 1 Maccabees 159. I actually don't have a Bible uh, you know, being being Protestant, I don't have a Bible that has this in there. I had to actually go and find and search this. But it's just, I'm just letting you know because that's the whole point of this is to give you the information, right? We're here to study. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. I want to give you the information so that you can learn and grow in this. So this is some extra biblical information, but it does come from that area, okay? But that is also why we know, don't, don't use... And don't read, and our Bibles do not include the Apocrypha, as it's not God-breathed, okay? But on top of this, it was the Feast of Dedication, right? It's Hanukkah, 
it's winter, it's cold, it's potentially snowing. Jesus was walking in the temple. The word here in Greek is actually part of the outer temple. This is not the inner temple, okay? He's not going to go and be teaching out in the public streets in the wide open because it's cold and it might be snowing and they want a covered area, okay? Now, the colonnade of Solomon, where it says this, right? In the colonnade of Solomon, Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, this really is not mentioned elsewhere. This might have been kind of a, a fun term. Maybe some people in a certain area called it this, and, and so John was referring to that. But it's not really mentioned that elsewhere. However, we see in some extra-biblical accounts and extra-biblical writings, there is an area that is referred to as Solomonic meaning it's of Solomon, right? And we see that from some of Jophe in Josephus, excuse me. And so in some extra writing from extra Jewish accounts, we see that there's an area that is referred in a similar fashion, okay? So this area would be on the eastern side of the Temple Mount with the stoa, which is a covered walkway, right? It's a covered walkway area. And that makes sense. Jesus would be walking in an area, it's outside of the inner temple, so where more people can be and hear his teachings. It's covered out of the elements slightly. You know, it's a better area. So that's a great area. Makes sense for this situation. Okay, 24, 25. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, now notice again, this is a capital J, the Jews. This is the authorities. This would be Pharisees and people who would be in a, a leadership position trying to make sure that, that false teachers and false prophets are not coming in and, and disrupting things and causing issues, right? Okay, so the Jewish leaders, the, the Jews. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Basically, just be straight with us, right? Quit beating around the bush. Just be straight with us. Say it how it is, okay? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Okay, so the leaders just come out and just directly charge him, right? You're, you're in the temple area, and you know what? If you're the Christ, just tell us. Just come directly out and tell us. So that, remember, they're trying to charge him, right? They, they want to charge him with blasphemy. They want to charge him with a couple different things. And so they're just saying, hey, if that's you, if you really are the Messiah, if you are the Christ— if you are trying to really claim this, just tell us. Quit trying to make our lives more difficult. Just tell us. Now, he says, I've told you, and you don't believe me, okay? But the works I do in my Father, right? Right? The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Now, bear witness, this is a legal term because they are trying to do legal action and, and hold him in a legal situation, right? So he's talking again in that legal terminology. This These bear witness about me because in the Jewish system, you can't have the testimony of one. The test You can't just define and defend yourself with, well, he says I did this, but I say I didn't do this. No, you have to have the testimony of two or more to be held 
liable or credible, excuse me, to be held credible. And Jesus is saying, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I'm not telling you I am the Christ. The things that I do in my Father's name, those are telling you that I am the Christ, right? That's what he's saying. So basically saying one plus one, or excuse me, one plus one is two. One plus two is three, right? So you have here, one, I told you. Two, the works that I do in my Father's name also tell you. Three, thusly, the scriptures would also tell you, right? That you were told signs that would be evident of the Christ. And I'm doing these signs and that should be the evidence for you. 26 to 29. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So he starts going back to the sheep reference. Now, mind you, this is a little bit later, right? We were at the, the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles, September, October. Now we're into probably December. So we're a couple months out. We're anywhere between a month and a half to almost two months out. This is a little while later, and he goes back to the sheep conversation. Reading this, it makes sense to just glean over it. We just talked about sheep. Now we're still doing sheep. That makes sense. This has been a while. This has been a while, okay? All right. You are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, so it says, you are not among my sheep, right? Bringing in that flock analogy again, but taking it a step further, okay? He takes us a step further. If we go back to John chapter 6, 43 to 47, Jesus then answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Okay, so this isn't new. Jesus has already said these things. But he had said, you have to be drawn to me, right? God has to give you to me, right? And, and, and again, this is, this is one of those Calvinism versus Arminianism things. Uh, do you have a say in this? Do you not have a say in this? And and that's a fine line. And I don't necessarily want to get into that again. We've we've discussed that before in the past. But you you have to recognize that God approaches us before we lean into God, right? That that is kind of a, a universal throughout Christianity, right? If you actually get down to the doctrine and to the theology. God approaches, we respond, okay? Whether we have the choice to respond or not, that's up for debate. <laughs> I think, yes, we have, a, we have a choice to respond, but it's up for debate. But God approaches, we respond, okay? And Jesus is saying here, you're not believing because you're not part of this flock. You're not a part of this, okay? Now he says to snatch, 
okay? To snatch. No one can snatch them out of my hand, right? Right? I will give them eternal life in 28. They hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, okay? No one will snatch. Now, in Greek, this is harpazo, and this is to take by force, to seize, and to claim for oneself. Now, some people want to say, take this reference as, oh, well, if you accept Jesus and you're saved, you're always saved. We would call this once saved, always saved. And that is a a, a couple different church groups uh, um, interpretation of this is once saved, always saved. If you accept Jesus, then you're absolutely fine and dandy and, and there's nothing anybody, including yourself, can ever do about that. Well, that's not what this is saying. If you go to the Greek and you actually look at the original language of what this was being said, what this is said in, this is be taken by force, to seize on and to claim for oneself. No one else can take you from Jesus, meaning another person cannot do this. Satan, demons, demonic, things of that nature, the devil, whatever terminology you want to use, they cannot do it. You cannot be taken and ripped from God, okay? No one else is going to take you from God. That still begs the question, can you leave if you want to, right? That's talk for another day. But no one can physically take you and rip you from God, okay? That is what he's saying. You're in my hand. You're securely in my hand. You're not going to have a wolf come up because I'm not a hired hand. I'm a shepherd, right? Going back to last week with that lesson, right? I am not a hired hand. I am a shepherd. I am holding tight. I care. No one is taking my sheep from me. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. Now, this shows both elements of a thief and a robber. You're not going to be taken in the, in the dark of night to where I just didn't recognize that you were there. And you're also not going to be taken by force, not forcefully going to be taken. Okay. And this does, as we just kind of talked about, this does have a stark contrast between Jesus, the shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, and the hired hand that we see saw earlier in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Cares nothing for the sheep. And he says that Jesus, 
excuse me, Jesus and the Father are one in 30. But anyway, before we get to that, notice that Jesus being one with the Father doesn't claim to be equal to the Father, right? A little pre, pre here. He's not claiming to be equal to the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. But he's already showing evidence that he's putting himself into a proper position with the Father, right? The Father has given the sheep to me. The Father is greater than all. The Father protects. And yet, the Father gave authority to the Son, Jesus. See, in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God gives all authority to the Son. The Father gives the authority to the Son. And yet, the Son is sitting here saying, I'm taking this all from the Father, right? God gave this to me. God is greater. He shows that. He shows that, right? Okay. Well, 30. And I and the Father are one. Now, this echoes the Jewish prayer known as the Shema, okay, which starts basically with Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, right? If you, if you know Jewish people at all, you've probably heard that, right? That is a very, very common prayer, okay? Hear, O Lord Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. It's the very beginning of this. Okay, that is a, a major standing point and a major principle throughout both the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. God is one. There is but one God, which plays into something that we're about to talk about too, okay? Now, he does say, you don't hear because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear, my father gives. God is one. I and the father are one. They know exactly what Jesus is saying, okay? You're not a part of my flock. God gives, God gave me the flock and I and the father are one. This, they're hearing this and they know where he's coming from. <clears throat> they know what he's saying. And that's why they pick up stones to throw him. Now, side note, this is an essential element in Christian doctrine known as the Trinity, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. The Godhead, singular, right? Singular God, Godhead, is all three, but he's only one being. It's three elements. It's three traits. It's three, however you want to phrase it, right? Three parts in one. We try to describe that as, you know, God made us in his image, and part of that is in, in being eternal. We have an eternal spirit that lives either with him in heaven or in hell, right? Uh, we were made in the flesh, so we have the body, we have the spirit, and we have the mind, right? We have three elements, three distinct parts of us, but we're all one person, right? It's the same person. You can't take one. If, if I leave, my spirit leaves my, my body and my mind, I'm still, my body is still me. My spirit is still me. My mind is still me. It's three parts of one, right? And that's part of being made in God's image. 31. This is into renewed desire to stone. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I mean, yeah. I think that was uh, understandable in that day and age, right? They prescribed 
We, we discussed this earlier in chapter eight, by the way, at the end of chapter eight, chapter eight, verse 59, stoning was the prescribed action and recourse uh, for blasphemy at the time, right? We don't, we don't do that now. We, we discourage blasphemy, <laughs> but we don't stone people, right? But that was the, the prescribed action at the time. And Jesus just declared to be one with God in heaven. To those who believe that he was the Christ, this, this made sense, right? He's doing things that only God can do. So we've been expecting a, a, a king to come and rule forever. If they're going to rule forever, they would have to be, oh yeah, God, that would make sense. People die. Okay. So this makes sense, right? So this, it's one of those, if you're part of that, this makes a lot of sense. If you're not part of that, okay, those who thought he was a threat to their power and their way of life and their way of order, keeping order throughout, right? They weren't happy being under the Romans, but they found a way to work through the mess and work through it and have order, right? This was evidence of a crime that needed to be stopped. Two different vantage points, seeing the same thing in completely different ways, right? Well, this makes sense because the ruler and the Messiah ruling forever on a throne, he'd have to be eternal. Like he'd have to be part of God. He'd have to be God, right? So that makes sense. And then, oh, no, wait, that, that's, no, you can't claim to be God. God is one. Well, yes, but it's it's a, do you understand what is being said? Do you, do you really understand the element of this? Do you understand the entire recourse? Do you understand you're looking at one thing and you're looking for a solution on one problem? God has solved this one problem time and time and time again. And then you keep falling into the same trap and into the same problems. Fixing this one little problem actually isn't the problem. It is a problem, but it is not the problem. There are grander things at scale. 32 to 33, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works, right? So the Jews pick up stones, throw against him. Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Uh, yeah, which one of these are you going to stone me? Now, now pause here for just one second. In 859, in chapter 859, uh, we see a totally different situation here. They, they pick up stones to, th to, uh, to stone him. And what happens? They pick up stones to throw him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Hmm. This is different. This is different. The time wasn't right for Jesus to directly confront them and go over this. Now the time's right for Jesus to confront them with this. He's been out. He's been doing all of these works. And now, oh, all right, well, I've been doing some really good things from the Father, what of these are you going to stone me for? Like, what, what of the good that I've done? Are you going to kill me because I healed people? Are you going to he kill me because of this or that? Like, what are you, what, what, there's people around. What good thing are you killing me for? And the Jews answered, again, Jewish leadership, it's capital J. Jewish leadership answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay. This continues the trial motif, right? 
the trial without a trial. That's been going on. Jesus has several witnesses. Okay, we have saw this earlier, and let's go through a, a quick list again. John the Baptist was discussing, saying he's coming, he's on his way, which, by the way, was foretold about. Anyway, it was that was supposed to happen, and it did. Okay, works that are done through him by the Father, works in the Father's name that he's done by him, okay, Jesus. The scriptures are pointing at him. He himself is saying who he is. Uh, and and yet they're still going to stone him. And so he says, which of these good are you going to are you going to stone me over? And they say blasphemy. Right? It's not it's not that the good stuff that you've done. No, we're not stoning you because you're healing people. That's ridiculous. No, 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 no. We're stoning you because of blasphemy. You make yourself God. Now again, understandably, with the knowledge and expectation of God is one. God is one. It's difficult to comprehend the triune nature of God, especially when, I mean, they know about the spirit, right? They've had the prophets. The prophets would hear word. They, they didn't, things, things were there, right? So they knew about that element, but maybe that was a helper. Maybe that was something completely different, right? That's not necessarily God coming and talking to them. <clears throat> so it's difficult to understand the, and the, and grasp that triune nature of God. So hearing someone say, I am one, and thus the same as God, it makes sense that this would be seen as going against God. Well, God's one, you're not him, right? Uh, what, is that, what is that old saying? Uh, I know two things for sure. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not God, and neither are you, right? <laughs> right? So it's like, okay, well, Jesus is claiming to be God, so it makes sense that that would be going against God. The devil, think think for a second. Put yourself in their shoes. I know that's really hard, right? Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. The devil, with their understanding, the devil wanted to be like God. Notice that distinction. Jesus is claiming to be one with God, to be God. The devil wanted to be like God, and he was cast down. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 to 15. There's a few spots, but I think this, this represents it well. Isaiah 14, 13 to 15. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, we would say hell, um, to the far reaches of the pit. Okay? That was the devil. That's Satan, Lucifer, whichever name you want to throw out there, right? That is that. He wants to be like God. Jesus is claiming to be God. Now, this begs the question. This begs the question. Contemplate this for a second. Is Jesus trying to make himself like God by claiming to be God? Or is God in Jesus and has been from the beginning? Is God a part of Jesus, right? That begs the question. And that really is the question. And that's something we have to ask ourselves. Because in reality, 
and I, you hear preachers say this from time to time, something similar to this, but it's, it's true. In reality, Jesus claims to be God. You can't sit here and say, Jesus taught some good things and that's, that's it. No, you can't believe in this type of a system, right? And think that the devil who wanted to be like God is the worst thing ever. And then turn around and say, Jesus claiming to be God, if he's not God, if he's not God, isn't he worse than the devil? He'd have to be worse. The devil just wanted to be like God. Jesus claimed to be God, right? So either he is God and has been God from the beginning and is in God and God is in him, or he did a better job leading people astray and causing problems than the devil. 34 to 38. <clears throat> this is where things start to get trippy. You thought we were trippy before? Oh, you're in for it now. Here we go. 34 to 38. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then you do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Okay. Weird. No, not typo, by the way. This is not a typo. This is not issues going on here. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now here it becomes, it's not really a situation, but it is one of those interesting things. It's not really in the law per se. Okay, the law would be like the first five, the law given by Moses. So it's not necessarily in the law. However, because they start adding things to it and there's man-made law, they have kind of included extra things and extra bits into this, right? That makes sense. We can get, we can grab that. Okay. Jesus is actually talking about Psalm 82. Psalm 82. It is one of the shortest, if not the shortest of the Psalms. And it is probably the most controversial of the Psalms. In fact, He's, he's hitting Psalm 82.6. We're going to read the entirety. Let's read the whole thing. It's only eight verses. It's not long, but let's read the whole thing. I want you to get the concept of what's happening here, okay? Because it's, it's easier to explain if we know the whole. So here it is. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, lowercase g, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. 
They walk about in darkness. All foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now, mind you, verse 8, that last one, that is God, capital G. So, at the first one, God has taken his place, capital G. And verse 8, Arise, O God, capital G, judge the earth. So, we have an opening and a closing of God, the true God. And then we're talking to these gods. And it gets even more interesting when you actually see that, that he refers to them of son, as sons of the Most High. Now, Most High <clears throat> is capitalized as well. That is another description of God. Okay, another description of God. Trippy. Most, sons of the Most High is usually a reference, usually. And this is actually one of the places why we would say usually. Because this is one that it's most likely not. But Sons of the Most High is usually a reference to the angelic. There was also an early race of people known as the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim, uh, many would consider giants, right? That, that is what we would think would be giants. And they were this uh, incredibly strong and devout race. And they were intelligent beyond. They were uh, very powerful. And it seemed whenever there was a Nephilim who was in charge, that people group did really well during that time frame. And there's, there's, there's some church history thinking that potentially there were some angelic who fell um, who also mated with people. And so these Nephilim, who were also referred to as sons of the Most High, were crossbreeds. If you ever watched the movie um, Constantine, if you ever watched the movie Constantine, they're talking about these half-breeds, right? There's half-breeds of, of the demonic and there's half-breeds of the angels. That, I think, and, and I don't know if they, they necessarily intended it to be this way, like they did the research. People who make movies do a lot of research, so don't, you know, and video games, by the way, too. But uh, it, those would be a, a kind of a, a representation of a Nephilim. However, they were regular-sized people and things, but only certain people could recognize. Anyway, th there was these Nephilim, and they were considered, as I get off my dry, my, my soapbox here on the odd and, and strange, um, those were also considered the sons of the Most High. But that's not really what's being discussed here, at least most likely. In fact, there, there are books written about what this could possibly mean, digging through history, digging through all of these different things. How can this be interpreted? Yada, yada, yada. All right. Let's just do it, right? There, the, the, primary, uh, the primary teaching, especially kind of from the day, right? The day of Jesus here, okay? Um, so it's, it's the rabbinic interpretation. Okay. 
the rabbinic interpretation was that this was the nation of Israel. Now, there, there's kind of two main, I, I can't even necessarily say main on this one uh, authentically, but there are two, mm, yeah, let's just say main. There are two main interpretations that, that kind of coincide with this and partially because of how Jesus discusses this and interprets this and brings it into play. And, and here's the thing, if Jesus is God, right? If Jesus is the son of God and he's God, uh, I think it makes sense that we interpret it through the lens that Jesus interprets it through, right? I mean, that just makes sense. Hey, God's God's inspiring people and putting things on paper for us to learn from. And then God comes a little bit later and is here in the form of Jesus. And he says, this is how that's meant. Ta-da. Like maybe we should pay attention to that. So the two most likely interpretations, uh, one is that these sons of men and these gods, these lowercase g, would be judges, Okay. Or were the, you know, you think about it, the historical judges. We saw the leaders and we saw the judges, okay? That's Old Testament, okay? Or, or, and this is the actual traditional rabbinic interpretation. So this was, uh, if you were going to hear a rabbi teach on this, this is how the rabbi would teach. These gods, these sons of the Most High, is the nation of Israel. Jews, Jewish people, period. God's chosen people. This is a reference to the chosen people of the day. God sits in a high divine council with his chosen people and says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Go and give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Okay, God's referencing, saying, I have shown myself to you. You are to be the light into the world. And yet, you judge unjustly. You show partiality to the wicked. You do the opposite of what I called you to do and do the opposite of what I stand for. Okay. And then he says, Jesus says, okay. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, right? God gave them the word, right? And the word of God, which I think is interesting, it's not capitalized here, so it's not necessarily like the title, but think of how John describes Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and thus came again here, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Now, broken here in Greek is luo, it is to loosen, to dissolve, to melt, meaning the scriptures cannot be undone. Not just like, bro, you can't, not break, no, but you can't undo the scriptures. Once once God has let his will and his way known, and it is there, and it is down, you can't just undo this. You can't just cover it up. It's not like made of stone, and you can just break it and crumble it and walk away. Moses thought you were all unfit and smashed the tablets, but it didn't undo God's law. It didn't undo what God wanted, right? You cannot untie the will of God, right? 
Scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated? Now, this is similar language to what we see in the Old Testament for those who are appointed to office, right? Like Jeremiah or the Aaronic priests. They're appointed. God has called these people to a special purpose. In the New Testament, we would say Paul would be a beautiful example of this. God called Paul in such a way, he blinded him, right? Paul was Saul, and he was hunting Christians. And he's walking on a path, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears before him, and he's blinded. He says, why are you persecuting me? Um, I think that's kind of a divine appointment, wouldn't you say? That seems to be a little bit, right? So this would be a beautiful example of that, right? Consecrated. If the representatives of God, whether that be the judges and the kings, or whether that be all of Jerusalem, if they are called God's lowercase, isn't it more appropriate for the true son of God. Okay? Right? Scriptures cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Then he points to his works. If I'm not doing the works, my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, you don't like the person, get beyond the person. Get beyond the exterior. Get beyond the individual, the person. Believe the works. Okay? You, you understand and you know the demons and the demonic and the devil and these don't do these good things. This comes from the Father. This comes from God. Just because you don't like me and the way I speak and the way that I'm doing these things, get beyond that. And look at what God's doing through this. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Okay. Essentially, ignore the man that you don't like and pay attention to the action. You see evidence of God in the actions because they were foretold in the scriptures and you hold these scriptures dear. Pay attention because that's how you know, right? 39, again, they sought to arrest him. Notice that change. 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. 39, they sought to arrest him. But like we saw in chapter eight, he escaped from their hands. That's quite a transition quite a transition. 40 to 41, 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Now, this is the area of Bethany, not which we saw in uh, chapter 1, verse 28. Now, this is not necessarily the city of Bethany. This is actually a place that is denoted as literally across the Jordan. It's not, it's not Bethany, not the town Bethany, right? This is just that area, that region that's right across the Jordan. This is just that section, okay? The people uh, recognized the John uh, who was amazing. Now we see here in 41, I don't know why I didn't add 41 there, but anyway, and many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him. So the people recognized that John 
was not. John was not the Messiah, but he was amazing. But rather, that who he said was coming, was Jesus, is here, right? They were recognizing that John foretold and said, watch for the one who's coming. Watch for the one who's coming. It's not me. And they recognized that. John didn't do any of these signs other than pointing to the coming. And now he's come. And they believe that Jesus, because of all the things that Jesus had done, and they've seen, and they've heard, and they've been witness to, and Jesus was the one that John was foretelling, and that he was there and there now, 42, and many believed in him there. And so they believed. So what can we take away from this? All right, so during the celebration of rededicating the temple back to God, Hanukkah, God, aka Jesus, is opening and stepping out of the temple to his people, right? So, which is kind of an amazing thing. He's leaving the sacred for those that he's drawing near, okay? They had the temple and that was the place where you had to go to get to God, right? God's left the temple to approach the people because the people are what matters to God, okay? Also, the leadership wanted to stone him to death for this, for claiming to be God, for claiming to be the son of God. But Jesus reminded them that the scriptures are true and cannot be undone, and that the people were representatives of God to the world, but they failed. Honestly, they failed again and again and again and again. Thus, the son of God came to redeem man kind. Okay. Jesus pointed to the works God was doing through him as evidence of who he was and what was happening. He wasn't relying only on words, but also on action. Okay. This is something that I think we, we as Christians should learn a little bit about, maybe. We know believers by love and by the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we take that as just simply kind words. Oh, you must be loving of Jesus because you speak nice. That's not the point. Yeah, we should maybe speak nice, but that's not the point. By evidence. We know by evidence. If you claim Jesus, if you're a part of Jesus, if you're a part of the flock, you will have evidence in your life. There will be action. Action. Right? Right? Finally, people saw and believed. People knew Jesus was more than a fraud, right? He wasn't a fraud. That he had to be who he was because of what it was that he was doing. If he was a fraud, he wouldn't be able to do what he did on top of what he said. He would just be able to say it. But he did more than that. He was able to do what he said. Even the leaders didn't deny that. They only denied that he understood what they did not. They did not like being challenged on their understanding. Okay, think of that. They didn't deny the good works that Jesus was doing. They didn't even deny the teachings that he taught. Have we seen them really turn it around and say, well, that's not right? Well, that's not. No, they didn't deny the teachings. They didn't deny the actions. They denied the fact that he understood it differently. Okay. 
if God challenges your idea of how things should be, trust God. Trust God and watch how things change. God, thank you so much again for today, for this word, for this challenging section, God, that you've approached us with and that we get to go through and dig through and dig through together and learn from and grow from. God, help us be your people, shining your light amongst the world. God, help us be representatives of Jesus. Help us show the world Christ in a way that we can't even imagine. Be with us as we continue on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys again for for joining in. I hope you learned something from it. And uh, you know what? We will see you next time. All right. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.